Thank you, Sally. If you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn there, where she just read for us from Philippians chapter 1. I've asked our scripture readers this month to read the entire chapter each time because I, I love getting a sense for the, the whole flow of the chapter. And uh, of course, Paul exhorts Timothy to give himself to the attention of the public reading of God's Word. And so it's important that we read God's Word uh, as we gather together. And, uh, and, I, and I love hearing um, just the, the whole context and the whole flow of what Paul is sharing with the Philippians. And we're just going to take a small portion of that. As you see on the screen here, we're just going to look at verses 3 through 8 this morning of Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 8. And we're, we're calling this message here, The Heart of God in the Heart of Paul. If you've ever seen the old, um, the classic Christmas movie, The Grinch, you might remember that scene where they do like a little x-ray on the Grinch's heart and, and it's just this tiny, pathetic, little, crusty, uh, just in, it, itsy bitsy uh, heart that he's got beating in his chest. And that conveys that he's, he's almost heartless. He's just, he's, he's callous, he's, he's uncaring. And I wonder if God put up a, an x-ray, if, if we could see not just, I'm not talking about our physical heart, but if we could see our spiritual hearts this morning, I wonder, I wonder what it would look like. Would it be, would it be like that, kind of withered and, and shriveled? Would it be enlarged? Would it be uh, hardened? What, what, what might it look like? Well, we're going to get to see a, sort of an x-ray of the Apostle Paul's heart as we walk through these a couple of verses together. Because Paul demonstrates the heart of Jesus Christ as he pours out his love in this introduction to the Philippians. And so let's just get right into it. The first thing we're going to see here is that Paul has a thankful heart. Listen carefully to these, these three verses here, three through five. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's gratitude for the Philippians was a constant gratitude. Did you see, did you hear all the superlatives? He says in verse 3, every remembrance. Verse 4, always praying with joy uh, for all of you in my every prayer. This was an all-encompassing reality for the Apostle Paul. He didn't just say thanks when they gave him the, the love gift that we mentioned that last week, and we'll see more about it when we get to chapter 4, 3 and 4. But he, he was constantly grateful for them. He was constantly expressing gratitude to God for all of them. When Paul sat down to pray, he thought about the Philippians. They were on his mind. He loved them, and he was bringing them before God and saying, every time I sit down to pray... I think about you. And I don't just think about you, I bring you before God. Unless we think that, that Paul is, um, you know, just especially fond of the Philippians, which I, I think he, he did hold them uh, in, in very high esteem, but unless we think this is just a one-time thing, that, that, that there's, a, there's a host of other scriptures, and we won't read all of them, but give you a, they give you a sense that this is, this is who Paul was. This wasn't just how he was trying to relate to the Philippians. He wasn't just trying to put a good foot forward or trying to impress them like we sometimes do. But he, he wanted, like this was his heartbeat to the people that he worked with. I'll just give you a little sampling. Romans 1.8. 
He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of the news of your faith is being reported all throughout the world. Or Ephesians 1.16, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Or 2 Thessalonians 1.3, we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. Paul is not on autopilot with his introduction. He is a genuinely grateful man, and he genuinely is thankful to God for these Philippian Christians. And I love how specific he is with it. You know, sometimes we can be general in in our compliments or encouragement, but not the Apostle Paul. He's very specific about what he's thankful for, and he's thankful for them. Notice he doesn't just say thank you for what you've done, and and that's good. We, We need to be thankful for things that people do for us. We need to be thankful for the things that God has done for us. We need to be thankful for the things that we have. But Paul went beyond stuff or things that he received or or actions done for him. He was thankful for the people themselves. This this is a, it might seem like a subtle difference, but but imagine someone imagine your boss comes up to you at work tomorrow and says, I want to so just say thanks for getting those reports in, in on time. Now, that's encouraging. It is, it is nice to know that your actions are appreciated. We all need that. But imagine your boss comes to you tomorrow and says, I just want to say that I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that you're part of this team. And then proceeds to list two or three reasons why they're thankful for you. You see what I mean? There's a difference. Both are wonderful. But, but being known that, that you're appreciated, not just what you've done, is, is next level. And the Apostle Paul is like that all the way throughout his letters. If you read his letters, you see that he rarely mentions the stuff or even the actions. He mentions that. I'm thankful that, for the fruit of God in your life and everything. But he's, he'll always get to the people. Paul's theology worked itself out in his life. See, the Apostle Paul was, was a, a, a theologian at, at heart. Read the book of Romans. You, you, you see him explain and uh, exposit the doctrine of salvation and how God has, has worked out our salvation. But when you get to the end, of the end of the book, the entire last chapter, have you ever read Romans 16? It's an easy, easy to just skip over it. But the entire chapter is dedicated to saying thank you and expressing appreciation for those who have walked alongside of him in ministry. Both men and women, he names them by name, and he says, I appreciate them. And this person blessed me, and this person ministered to me, and I'm so thankful for them. There's so much that we could learn from the Apostle Paul's heart in this. And he lists specific reasons. He, again, he's not just general and vague. He mentions in verses uh, 5, 6, and 7, he's thankful because they remembered him. They hadn't forgotten him in his chains. He's thankful because of their partnership in the gospel. He's, he's thankful because uh, he was convinced that God had begun a good work and would, would finish that on the day of Jesus Christ. He was very specific in his gratitude. And I love also that he was so, he's so gracious. Now, if we read the book, 
you know, again, this, this was not like a, a messed up church situation. Like Paul wasn't writing like he was in Galatians or in First, first and Second Corinthians where he had some really hard things to say. He's, he, he loves these people and by and large they're doing a good job. But they don't have it all together. And he's going to acknowledge and address some of the disunity in the church. He's going to bring that up as the letter goes on. But notice that that didn't keep Paul from expressing his gratitude. I don't know if you, you are like this. Maybe I'm the only one who gets like this. But I can get stingy with my encouragement and my gratitude because I feel like, well, this person still has some issues they're trying to work out. And if I, if I express too much encouragement, I don't want them to think that these issues are not important. Does anybody else ever think like that? I, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but I just like to think that I'm not alone in this. It, but it, it reveals my heart. Sometimes I see, like, I, I'm... I'm withholding, building this person up in Christ or identifying the, the work of grace in their life because, well, yeah, but there's still this, this, and this. Listen, for all of us, if we know each other at all, there always will be this, this, and this. Always. We're, we're, we're not perfect yet. Not until we get to heaven will this, this, and this be done away with and we'll be free from that, that sin and those I mean, listen, if you're married, if you have any close friendships, you know that there's stuff that your best friend does that gets under your skin. But if you just hone in on that and choose to elevate that front and center all the time, well, I would go hang out with them, but man, they just make this weird clicking noise all the time, and I just can't, like, or they chomp their gum or whatever. Like, yeah, like we'll, 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 ne we'll never build people up because there's always, there always will be a reason not to. May we be people like the Apostle Paul, that even though he knew he was going to have to deal with the disunity, he was genuinely grateful. This wasn't like he wasn't shining them on and buttering them up so that he could drop the hammer later in the book. This came from his heart. He genuinely cared for and loved these people, and he wanted them to know that he was thankful to God for them. And so this led him to pray joyfully. We're going to talk more about prayer next week. I love that he expressed to God that he was thankful for them. And then he took it to that next level and he told them. He didn't just tell God, which is important, but he took it to that next level. I wrote down, I was, I was getting really convicted just in this first section here this week. And I wrote down a couple of questions to help me. And I don't know if they'll help you, but... Uh, these are a couple of things that I, I was asking myself this week. Does Thanksgiving make up a significant portion of my prayer life? Does Thanksgiving make up a significant portion of my prayer life? Okay, I, I, I'm not a math guy, but I, I'm, I'm looking at the Apostle Paul's letters. And he talks over and over and over again about how when I'm praying, I thank God for you. I have to believe that if he's saying that, he's telling the truth to each of these churches. So he knows hundreds, if not thousands of people between all these churches. And he's taking time to thank God for specific things and specific people within each congregation. I have to think that, that Paul didn't move away from his thanksgiving portion of prayer time for quite a while. When he sat down in the morning or whenever he prayed, I bet thanksgiving time was a, an extended period of prayer time. I'm, I'm going a little bit out on a limb there, but I think there's enough from his writings to think that 
He spent a lot of time just saying, God, thank you for this person. Thank you for the way that you've cared for me. Thank you for the way that you used them to support my ministry. Thank you for this person, that they were there when, when I was discouraged and down. Constantly expressing gratitude. I'm telling you, if, if we develop that kind of a heart, it changes everything. It changes everything. We're going to see over and over again that one of the reoccurring themes in this book is joy. And I'm starting to learn, I'm, I'm starting to think that there is an important tie-in between Paul's heart of thanksgiving and gratitude and joy. When you are a thankful person, you are much more inclined to be a joyful person. Listen, we always will have stuff that's not going right in our life. We always have something we want different, and it may be a good thing. Maybe it's, it's someone that we want to see get saved in our family. That's a good longing. Maybe we want to see something change in our, in our kids' life and in in their behavior. That's a, that's a good longing. But I'll tell you what, as long as we put the stuff that's not going right as front and center, we will, we will lean towards being crusty, being grumpy, and be on the way towards bitterness. But when we lead with thanksgiving, not ignoring the big stuff that we want to change, but when we lead with thanksgiving, when we stop and say, okay, there is a ton of stuff I have to be grateful today. Yes, God, I want you to change this, but holy cow, you have been so, so good to me. And you have brought people into my life. And you have provided in these ways. And you have spiritually blessed me with every spiritual blessing. But when we lead with that, it, it changes our outlook on everything. Just talking with Joe Murphy earlier about the importance of wearing our glasses and how they're absolutely necessary. When I put my glasses on in the morning, it changes everything on my outlook. I can't see stuff off. I can't read any of that stuff on the back wall. I can't read the exit sign. It's all blurry if I don't have my glasses on. When my glasses are on, it changes everything about how I see. When we start with a heart of gratitude, it changes how we look at everything. Does Thanksgiving make up a significant portion of my prayer life? The second question I wrote down just briefly, am I the kind of person who makes it easy for people to say, like Paul, I give thanks to my God on every remembrance of you. Am I the kind of person that, make that makes that easy? That may be a tough one to answer because we don't really know how we uh, often are to people. But it, it sure could alert us to the way that we treat people and, and be, be, uh, be aware. Paul knew that there were some issues here, but he was still thankful for the believers there. If we're walking with him and pursuing him and loving others well, it sure makes it a little easier for them to say, I want to just thank God for this person in my life. And then thirdly, do I, like Paul, make it a point to let others know that I'm thankful for them? Do I, like Paul, make it a point to let others know that I'm thankful for them? Here's, here's one point of homework for you today. Spend some time in prayer and even get a journal out and, and jot down a list of 10 things that you're thankful for. And make sure that you include some people. And if you're serious about it, if it's the truth, send that person a text, or better yet, call them or write them a letter and just say, here's why I thank God for you today. And let them know, yes, thank God, but take it to that next level and let that person know 
why you're grateful to God for them. Okay, I promise all the points won't be this much, but I got, I got really convicted about a thankful heart, and so I, I wanted to share some of that. <laughs> the second one, though, is a confident heart. As we look at the x-ray of Paul's heart here in these verses, we see that he had a thankful heart. We see that he also has a confident heart. I love, I'll, actually, I'll probably spend a little time here too, but I, th- this, is, this is, if you're an underliner, if you're a circler, a note-taker in your Bible, underline verse 6, highlight verse 6, memorize verse 6. This is a precious verse. I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I am sure of this. What I'm about to say here in my next sentence, I am sure of. I don't know what you've said in the last couple of days, like I'm sure of whatever I don't, I don't know what, what things you can be certain about. There's a lot of things in our world that changes, a lot of things in our life that changes. But Paul here says, I'm sure of this. I have confidence in this. What is he going to say? What is he certain about? That he who started a good work in you. Let's stop there. He's confident that God had begun a good work in the lives of the Philippians. That God had inaugurated, in the tense there, Uh, points to a decisive and a deliberate act from God, that God had intentionally started something. Now, we've all probably used that phrase or we're familiar with their phrase. Maybe your parents have, you heard your parents say it or parents, you've said it like, don't start something. Don't start with me, kid. Like We've used that phrase before. We know what that means. Well, this is different. This is a good start. God started something with us, not in the way that Your kids do with each other, but God started something with us. God started a work in in, in the lives of those whom he brings into his family. This is beautiful here. Remember last week I mentioned that the church was was planted in Philippi. You can read about that in Acts chapter 16. If you didn't read that this week, it's okay, but I want to encourage you to do so because you can catch up on how this church was birthed. And in in the beginning of that... um, the evangelism there and the beginning of God's work there in Acts 16, 14, we, and we introduced Lydia last week. We mentioned her. It said, a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening, listening to the Apostle Paul and to Silas preaching the word. And listen to what it says in verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. Who opened Lydia's heart? The Lord did. God gave her a receptivity, a a desire, an interest to hear and understand the things that Paul was preaching. Listen, my brothers and sisters, we need God to start the work because we can't start it. We, We can't initiate the work of God in our lives. None of us ever of our own accord woke up one morning, one day hating God, and then of our own accord said, I I, I, want to do this. I want to follow God. I'm interested in the things of God. If you did that, it's because God initiated the work. Philippians 1.6 said, it's God who starts the good work in us. Ephesians 2 reminds us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We, We didn't have any desire to pursue God. It's, it's what we just sang about in Amazing Grace. John Newton penned those words hundreds of years ago. 
I once was lost, but now, what does he say? I am found. He doesn't say, I once was lost, and then I found God. He says, I am found. He was the one found by God. God is the one who pursues us. God is the one who calls us into his family. And he was confident in this, in the Philippians' life, that God had started that work. It was not a mere empty profession of faith because he goes on in verse 7 to say, indeed, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in your heart, in my heart and you're all partakers with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He says, I've seen the fruit. I know that the work God started in your life, it was the real deal because I've seen evidence of it. I've seen the way you've loved me and take care of me. I've seen the way that you stood beside me in defending the gospel. Even while I've been in prison, you've still been moving forward. He says, I know that God started a work in your heart because I've seen the fruit of it. Several years ago, I, uh, I was recommended a book that I, I got. And as my wife could testify, I do this all the time. I'll get it. It'll go on my shelf and get forgotten and, um, and unread. <laughs> and uh, I, I picked up a book called A Severe Mercy by a man named Sheldon Van Auken. It's a bit of a personal memoir, biography. Um, and it sat on my shelf for a while. And finally, last summer, I, I picked it up and, and read it. And I, I wished I had read it sooner. It, it's, it's hard to describe exactly the genre. Van Auken was a... Uh, a soldier during a U.S. soldier during World War II was a, a little bit of an academic and a, a brilliant writer and, and loved, loved poetry and, and English, and 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 he sort of describes his his journey. Uh, he he met the woman of his dreams, Davy, uh, and and they uh, moved after the war. They moved overseas to England, and uh, he he wanted to get his master's degree and enrolled in Oxford uh, to to study there, and. Um, they, he and Davy were, were staunch atheists. They, they wanted nothing to do with God. They mocked Christians. When he saw Christians in the army praying, he, he ridiculed their faith. And they, they, were, they, were, they saw themselves as above the silliness of religion and faith. And, and one day, uh, Davy began to read, I believe it was Davy that started, began to read some books by one of the professors there at Oxford who argued for, for faith and talked about his relationship with Jesus. And she showed them to her husband, Sheldon, and, and they said, we should, we should write and challenge him with some of our questions. This professor was a man by the name of C.S. Lewis. And, and they started writing Lewis, and Lewis started writing back. And since they lived, he went to the same college, they lived in the same community, they asked if they could have dinner together. And so they started meeting with Lewis and began to build up this, this friendship as Lewis just walked with them. And they would sit down at the pub and have a conversation about their doubts and their questions. And he would, he would talk to them and, and share about his faith and, and talk to them about Christ. And slowly, the, the Spirit of God began to chink away at their resistance. And, and Davy pretty quickly embraced Christ. She saw that that, that Jesus was who he claimed to be, and, and she became a Christian. But Sheldon dug his heels in and, and really put up a fight and, and continued to, to sort of, he was inching closer, but still wasn't ready to embrace Christ. Still had, had a few arguments in his mind that he hadn't resolved. 
And Lewis just patient, patiently, and you can read their letters in the book. It's, it's pretty amazing that just the back and forth and the, the love and the patience that Lewis, who was, who was a world-renowned author by this point in his life and, and lecturer, uh, was, was willing to make time to, to just lovingly point this man to Jesus. And I tell you that story because I just want to quote three sentences out of one of Lewis's letter that illustrates Philippians 1.6. As they were corresponding and they were getting further along in their relationship, Lewis once wrote in one of his letters to Sheldon, he said, but I think you are already in the meshes of the net. The Holy Spirit is after you. I doubt if you'll get away. <laughs> and he didn't. I don't want to ruin the story for you, so I won't tell any more of it, but uh, I highly recommend A Severe Mercy by, by Sheldon Van Alken. I think you're already in the meshes of the net. The Holy Spirit is after you. I doubt if you'll get away. You see, that's, that's the work of God. He who began a good work. It was the Spirit of God who was casting that net and drawing Sheldon to himself. All the while, while he was resisting, all the while he was mocking, shaking his fist at God, God was working. He had begun that work and bringing him to himself. But notice what, give, what else gives Paul confidence. Not only that God had started that good work, which, by the way, if you're a Christian, God has begun a good work in your life. He doesn't just say, I've begun a, I've begun a work, but he says it's a good work. Like God is doing something good in your life. You have purpose. Like Ephesians 2.10 reminds us that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. He's doing something in your life specifically, not just in the church in general, but specifically he, he has a calling for you. There's more we could say about that, but Paul's confidence was not just that God had begun a work, but look what he says, that he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What a precious promise. He says, listen, Philippians, I'm confident that what God started, he's going to finish. Now, if, if we did a, another little show of hands, husbands, about how many of us have uh, uncompleted projects around the house, honey-do lists that got partially started and never saw through the end. We would be slipping our hands up and our wives would be sitting there elbowing us. Listen, that's not, the, that, that's not how God's like. God doesn't start something and then peter out and get disinterested or forget about it or passive-aggressively try to pass it off. Like He says, what I start, I finish. This is good news, my brothers and sisters. This is good news for those of us who know that the Christian life is a long journey. And we sometimes struggle. We sometimes give in to temptation. We see the ups and the downs. The, the, we feel the doubts and the, the weight of fears and sin sometimes. And it can get discouraging. Know this, that we are not Christians today because of how tightly we're holding on to God. But because of how tightly he's holding on to us. John chapter 10 reminds us that we're his sheep and he's brought us in. He says, no one can pluck them out of my hand. They're, they're my sheep. Our God is a God who initiates the work of salvation. And then he says, I'm going to see it through to the end. It doesn't depend upon how good we are, or how we feel. It depends first and foremost on God. What God starts, he finishes. I love what Alec Moyer says. When he writes, salvation would be a wretchedly unsure thing if it had no other foundation than my having chosen Christ. The human 
will blows hot and cold. It's firm and unstable by fits and starts. It offers no security of tenure. But it is the will of God that is the ground of salvation. No one would be saved had not the Lord been moved by his own spontaneous and unexplained love to choose his people before the world was and at the decisive moment to open our hearts to hear, as Ephesians 1 says, to understand and accept the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. This then is our assurance that God has willed my salvation. We can be faithful because God is faithful. We can persevere because God perseveres. We can hold fast to Christ because he is holding fast to us. And let me just give a specific word of encouragement based on this verse. Because I told you, it's a, it's a verse worth memorizing. It is a life-changing type verse. For those of you who are praying for a prodigal, for praying for a loved one who has walked away from the faith, We've seen it even here at the church in the last few years with COVID. We had people just, just stop going to church and we'll see them somewhere. And they haven't, they haven't necessarily started attending anywhere else. They, they haven't like necessarily denied the faith or anything. It's just like, eh, I don't know. Just, just don't really go anymore. And you see them wandering away. Know this, that if God truly has begun a work on their heart, if that grace has sprung up and has taken root, he says... He will, God will finish that work. If a child of God begins to walk away, God will bring them back somehow, some way. It may take forever. It may take some awful circumstances and trials. But God is not going to lose them. He who has begun a good work will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. One of the most difficult pastoral questions I, I'll ever get is when someone says, well, what about so-and-so? Are they truly saved that they've done this or they've, they, they said they believed and then now look at the way they're living? I can't see their heart. I don't know what it looks like. I just, I just, I know this, that if God truly, miraculously saved them by the grace of God, if they've experienced the new birth, like John 3 talks about, if, like in 2 Corinthians 5, if they're a new creation in Christ, that God is going to see that through to the end. What a precious promise. The final thing that we see about Paul's heart is that he has an affectionate heart. An affectionate heart. As I mentioned before, it, it seems like the Philippians are especially dear to Paul's heart, although this isn't unusual for the way he, that he talks to those to whom he ministers. He says, I, in verse 7, it's right for me to think this way about you because I have you in my heart. You're all partakers with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul was not exaggerating here. He loved the Philippian Christians. He saw them as his partners with him in grace. That word partner, we're going to see the word twice. Uh, we see it in um, verse 5 and again in verse 7, this partner, partnership. It's, it's the word koinonia. We talked about it a few weeks back. It's this deep fellowship. It's more than just a friendship. It, it's a mutual sharing together uh, of Christ. 
And he says, listen, you guys are partners with me in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the gospel. Paul's not vague about why he's grateful for them. But he, he's unapologetically emotional. Some of us grew up in homes where we were taught that emotions are bad. Even in the Christian world, sometimes we, we get kind of negative about emotions. Like, hey, it's about, it's about truth and having our minds governed with truth, which is exactly right. We've got to start with truth. But God gave us emotions for a reason. Paul's not writing this letter as a robot. His emotions are pouring forth in love towards these Philippians. Like I said, this wasn't unusual for him. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Paul could say, he says, I miss all of you. That, that word miss is, is a Greek word that indicates a strong longing. It's not just sort of a, sort of a wistful like, oh, I, I sort of miss the warm summer days now that falls here. It's not that. It's this deep longing, this deep desire for something. And he says, I, I long for you. I care about you. I want to ask you this morning, does, is that the, is that, could that describe your feelings towards God, God's people? Could that describe your heart? Do you long for, do you, do you miss deeply when you're away from God's people? And he goes on to finish the sentence, I miss all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Notice where this comes from. It comes from Jesus. I'm not going to be able to remember the, the words without seeing them on the screen, but we, we, just, we just sang, like, fill me, pour into me, so that I can take that and, and fill others. Build my life in such a way that, that you're flowing out of me, Jesus. That's exactly what this is. He says, I miss all of you with the affection of Jesus. That word affection is, as I've shared before, it's, it's, this is my favorite Greek word. It's the Greek word splachnon, which is fun to say even if you don't know what it means. But it, it means what it sounds like. It means guts. I long for you with the guts of Jesus, he's saying. In fact, the old King James translates it with the bowels of Christ. Probably not the best translation. What he's getting at, he's like, I love you from my innermost being. This, this comes from deep within me. But why? When he's got so many people to think about and care for in so many different churches, how does he do this? He tells you, with the affection of Jesus Christ. With the affection of Jesus Christ. You see, my brothers and sisters, if, if we're sitting here thinking, this is not me. This does not describe my heart. I've got more of the Grinch heart. Or maybe it's a little bit bigger, but it's still pretty crusty and hard. I, I don't have this heart. I'm not thanking God all the time for people in my life. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not living with the confidence that God will do what he said he'll do. And, and I don't have an affection like this for the people that God has brought into my life. Listen, I don't have a magic bullet for that to change. But I'll, I'll tell you what changed Paul's heart. It was Jesus. We said last week that this book is about Jesus. He's mentioned, on average, uh, about once every four verses, Paul talks about Jesus. You, I get the idea that Jesus is kind of a big deal to Paul, and, and he should be a big deal to us. And again, I don't have a magic bullet to change our hearts overnight, but I'll tell you this. If you spend time with Jesus, like Paul spent time with Jesus, expressing your gratitude 
for the work of Jesus. Meditating on the love of Jesus. Praying for the will of Jesus. I can promise you that if you make that a, a, a devoted part of your life, you will see your heart change. It's impossible not to. When, when some of the disciples were arrested in, in, in uh, Acts, I'm drawing a blank on the chapter right now, and it says that, that the officials arrested them and it said they, it, they could tell that they'd been with Jesus. What a beautiful sentence. When you and I are with Jesus, these things begin to change in our hearts. We begin to, to love the people of Jesus. We don't have to just buckle down and say, okay, pastor said I need to be more thankful this week, so I'm going to be more thankful. And pastor said I need to have more affections towards God's people this week, so I'm going I'm to be loving, doggone it. That, that's not the way this works. You know, I have been around the block enough times. We know that we don't just flip a switch like that. That change comes from within, and the only way that takes place is by spending more and more time with Jesus in his word, meditating on the word, talking to him, and then spending time with the people of Jesus in fellowship and hearing stories. I can't remember if I shared this uh, or, or not. So I, sometimes I just repeat myself, just kind of nod along like you do with your grandparents. Um, <laughs> I, this summer, I had a chance to go to my uh, my cousin's son's open house. I would be, I guess, that would be like a second cousin or something. I'm not very good with those terms, but it was my first cousin's son's graduation open house, and my cousins were there. And I don't get to see them very often. They live on the west side of the state, and they're real busy, and I just don't get to see them a lot. So I, I always cherish time with them. Um, they're around my age, a little bit older, and and. He, I just I, I walked away from there though, and I, I called my wife. She wasn't able to come along, and I called and I said. I just had the most encouraging couple of hours because every single one of my cousins I talked to, the conversation within about four or five minutes came around to Jesus and it stayed there. We were talking about what God was doing in their adult kids' lives, what God was doing in their churches, how, what God was teaching them. And it wasn't like Pastor Jeremiah was like pulling the strings and like, hey, let's talk about Jesus. I'm a pastor and we got to talk about Jesus. Like it was coming naturally out of them. And, and you know what? I could tell that they had been with Jesus and they were talking about what Jesus was doing. And what's cool is that not only are they being blessed, but I came away so blessed and encouraged because of what they were sharing and seeing the fruit of God's work in their life. You see how this just sort of becomes self-replicating? Is I spend time with Jesus and live a life of gratitude and, 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 and prayerful dependence on him, it begins to well over into the lives of others, and then they're blessed with this Jesus splash over, and then they can continue to take it on and on and on. But when we choose to hone in on the things that aren't going wrong, and we pull ourselves back and begin to let our hearts get bitter, that, that, that's, it kind of cuts off the stream. Paul could say these things about the Philippians because Jesus had given him the love to do so. Paul said, I, I, could, have, I could be able to uh, speak in the tongue of men and angels. I could have all knowledge and all wisdom, all the gifts, but if I don't have love, I'm what? Nothing. That love comes from Jesus. I'll just finish with this. I was listening to a sermon by one of my favorite living pastors, 
by the name of Alistair Begg. I love Alistair Begg. If you've never heard Alistair Begg's sermons, make sure you go find them. Uh, if, even if for no other reason, uh, he's from Scotland, and, and even though he's been in the U.S. now for about 40 years, he still has a sweet accent. So even if for nothing else, you hear a pretty cool accent in the, in the message. But he was telling a story back, back when he was a younger man, and he would go visit his grandfather, who was a, a, just a, a strong man of God and loved the Lord, and Alistair always enjoyed his visits with them. And he said, whenever I left Grandpa's house, and I never understood it because the, the way that he phrased his sentence made no sense to me. He said, whenever I would leave, he said his grandfather would say, Alistair, I'll be thinking away about you. And he said, I just never understood that. Like, I get I'll be thinking about you. But he said, I'll be, I'll be thinking away about you. But he says, as I, as I got to know the heart of my grandfather more and began to understand what, what, what the heart of a follower of Jesus should look like, a heart that's been with Jesus, he said, I understood what my grandfather was saying, that I love you, Alistair, and you're not just going to come to my mind here and there, but I'll be thinking deeply because I have you in my heart. You're near and dear to me, Alistair. And I care about you. And he knew that it came part and parcel with prayer. Alistair, I'll be thinking away about you. My brothers and sisters, we've called to be people who think away about one another. Who spend time thinking about how we can pour into others. How we can share the affection and love of Jesus Christ with one another. But that only comes as we spend time with Jesus ourselves. And we be people who start by having thankful hearts. People who have confidence hearts, believing that what Jesus starts, he'll finish. And may that overflow to affectionate hearts for one another. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just can't thank you enough. None of us understand exactly what Ephesians 2 means, that we were born dead in our trespasses and sins. But we at least understood that, understand enough to know that, that, that we were a mess apart from Christ. We were lost on our way to eternal separation from you, God. And then Ephesians 2 says, but God, but God who is rich in mercy has saved us. Not by our own works, but by your grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. You have you have bought us back. You have redeemed us and brought us and made us your own sons and daughters. And God, we can't thank you enough that you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You've given us hope. You've given us life, abundant life, eternal life. We thank you for who you are, oh God. We thank you for what you've done. God, teach us to be thankful people, to look around with our eyes open, your mercies that are new every single morning. Forgive us for having our eyes closed to those things. For being so myopic that we can't see your goodness and we hone in on the stuff that's not right. The stuff that we need you to change or the people that need to change or the circumstances that need to change. God, forgive us for that, that complaining heart. God, give us a heart that's full of gratitude. And I pray, God, that that gratitude would extend beyond stuff and blessings 
and would go towards one another. And may we share that with one another. May letters and texts and phone calls be made this week to say, I'm thankful for you because, Lord, stir our hearts to share that affection. Give us a deep-seated confidence that what you've started, you'll finish in our own lives and in the lives of those that, that, for whom we're burdened, who've, who've wandered from the faith. Lord, we thank you for your promise to do what you've said you're going to do. You don't leave any unfinished projects out there. And God, I pray that you would stir our hearts through Jesus Christ with this affection for one another. May we one, love one another deeply as you have loved us. And God, when we, when we feel like that is drying up, when we don't feel that, I, I, I pray, God, that we would just, just bear more deeply into Jesus and, and be rooted and grounded in your love for us. That you would make us aware of the, the height and the breadth and the depth of your love so that we can, we can begin to overflow once again. God, I thank you that you don't just tell us to, to do better and move us along, but you show us how. And it's, it's through who? It's through Jesus. Enamor our hearts with Christ today, oh God. Now may the Father who chose you, the Son who bought you, and the Spirit who dwells within you fill you with love, grant you endurance and suffering, and cause you to know the fellowship of his grace more deeply today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you as you pray.